When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another edition of Children of Song, the podcast that explores what it must have been like to grow up surrounded by music. For those of you who might be joining us for the first time, we're speaking, of course, with musicians whose parents made it big in the music industry, or those artists who started playing and making music when they were still very young. For these folks, making music is as natural as breathing. Today's guest fits in that second category. We'll learn how his father first introduced him to the guitar, and then once he showed some talent, how he took him to various honky-tonks where he showcased his skills at just 10 years old. But first, I'm Brad Newman, the producer of this series, and today I'll be doing a little double duty, taking on the hosting chores for what should be a very fun, entertaining episode. We're bringing this to you from our podcast studios in Midtown Manhattan. Rick Buser is our engineer. You know, today's guest uh, came to Nashville as a singer-songwriter, but uh, made a living writing big hits for folks like Chris Stapleton, Gary Allen, George Strait, and many others. And then finally in his 40s, he said, you know, come on now, let's do this thing. He's just released his, his first album, but it's really a culmination of the work he's been doing his whole life. The album is called Lowdown and Lonesome. You got to get out there and get it. It's it's really got some some beautiful songs in there. Um, it's been described as down home country meets rock and roll. There's a beautiful soulful beat, and uh, especially the title track, which you heard a little bit of there. We're pleased to welcome Kendall Marvel with us to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you, sir. Good to meet you. So give us a sense of where you grew up. Um, I know you're raised in southern Illinois, is that yep, right? Yep. And um, you wouldn't necessarily think that's sort of music central, but it, it, there are some really interesting clubs and, and musicians that have come out of that part of the country. There are. It's a very rural area, you know, uh, a lot of coal mines, a lot of farming, that kind of thing. So, you know, coal miners and farmers tend to want to get out on a weekend and kick around a little bit and drink beer and hear live music and uh especially back when i was growing up in that in that area uh there's i think there's a lot less nowadays uh honky-tonks places to play you know what i considered honky-tonks uh back in the day but your your daddy um was he a music lover he was and a pseudo musician you know i mean he he could play a little bit he actually played my band for a while once we got going but uh yeah he was uh, a pretty good you know decent guitar player and uh, live vicariously through me, you know. Once, once we, once he figured it out and, and taught me a few things, he was like, "Hey, this is going to be fun," you know. Well, he actually gave you a guitar pretty early, right? He did. I was five when I got my first guitar. Yeah, amazing. Um, and you know, listen, I, I, I've had five-year-olds. They're a little older now. My girls, um, they don't always take to, to, you know, instruments. I mean, sure. Do, how did he introduce this to you, and, and what did you think at the time? You know, I really don't remember exactly how that went down, but uh, apparently I liked it because I, uh, you know, I don't recall being too 
uh, you know, any five-year-old wants to go out and play, which, you know, I always wanted to do that when we had friends over, but uh, we'd always had, you know, I had to play guitar first, you know, when we, when he was having, and they was pretty wild. They had some pretty wild parties back in the day, and uh, when the parties were going on, then uh, I knew it was I had to work, you know, before I could go out and play with the other kids. <laughs> he wanted to show you off a he little did, bit. He did, yeah. He used to get me up at night, you know, when he'd come home, coming home, from the bars or whatever before I was going out in them, and he'd get me up and make me play. I remember Mom would get mad and, you know, say, he's got to go to school tomorrow. And he was like, no, he don't have to go to school tomorrow. So what kind of music did you play? I mean, who, who were these, you know, his idols growing up, you know, the people he liked, or was this something, people that were inspiring you too? And it was kind of working in a, in a double way there. A little of both. I mean, he grew up in the 60s, you know, uh, uh, so he was, you know, the Doors and, the Beatles and all that kind of stuff. He was a rock and roller when he was young, but and I can remember going to say Alice Cooper, you know, in the seventies. But, but he was more of a country lover. You know, the older he got, the more he liked country music. So, give us a sense of what he might have asked you to play. Can I hear something? Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I can remember uh, one of the first songs that that uh, he helped me learn was uh, a Hank Jr. song. Just a little waltzy. I kicked the habit of smoking back some time ago I tried the hard stuff but I had to let all that go but the toughest thing I ever gave up was today Cause old habits like you Are hard to break <laughs> You know, stuff like that As a kid, I, of course, I didn't know what the song meant But I sure liked the way that That, that chord sounded, you know When he showed me how to play that Yeah And I guess uh, it was a natural rhythm thing Because it's not really as a child, easy to play a waltz, you know. Right, also, but also some low notes there. Must have been hard to hit. Was it Was it like a novelty also for for some of these adults looking? I mean, did they laugh or did they take you seriously <laughs> Oh, they took quick? me serious. I mean, they was they was mesmerized. But I've had a remarkable low voice my whole life. So I, when I was 10 years old, I kind of sounded like a man, like a grown man singing. Wow. It was, it was very God-given. You know, it was very, very strange. So, you know, obviously you get better as you go on. You're, you're like 10 years old, and instead of becoming like, you know, parties at the house where people would come over and listen to you play, he starts taking you to bars. Sure, yep. And and how did this transpire? Because, you know, coming up to a bar, unless he had a relationship with the ownership there, it's not like, hey, listen, my kid, you know. Oh, he had a relationship with a lot of them, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, there was a place in uh, West Frankfort, Illinois called Charlie's. And uh, he used to hang out there all the time. And that was one of the first places that he ever took me to. Uh, he just said, hey, I'm going to bring my boy up. And I played a few songs. And then pretty soon, you know, they was like giving him beer. You know, and then, then it was like, okay, we're going to do this a lot. You know, <laughs> bring, hey, bring your boy up and let him play some songs and you can drink for free. You know, and they'd, I'd make some tips. You know, I'd make 10 or $15, and I was in hog heaven. You know, yeah. I loved it. What, what was um, some big reaction that you got? Was there a crowd pleaser where you started to think? I mean, because remember, it's interesting as a young person, too. 
you work a room differently, mm-hmm. and your senses seem to pick up on things maybe quicker than even adults. Right. I mean, did you, you were learning your chops. Obviously, you're a really young kid, but was there a particular song or a particular type of song that. Anything that I cussed in, <laughs> it seemed to go over well. You know, I sang, I, there's a Hank Jr. song, If You Don't Like Hank Williams, You Can Kiss Our Ass. And it was just like that, stuff like that. All the adults wanted to hear that. You know, they'd, they'd, they'd laugh, but uh, they still they dug it. You know, it wasn't a, like a ha ha laugh. You know, when did you start writing your own music? Uh, I mean, when I was a teenager, I you know I messed with it a little bit, uh, nothing nothing major. I, really, it was my late twenties before I really started learning the craft of songwriting. You know, I mean, I, I wrote songs, but looking back, they wasn't they wasn't any count. What was the key to that? You know, uh, coming up with a, a a lyric or a lick first? Uh, a little of both. I mean, it just depends. Sometimes sometimes you got a cool melody, you know, that, and you run it by somebody else, and they have a cool title or. You know, or whatever. So it, it goes different ways. You know. Can I hear an early one? Something that uh, maybe you you don't love now, but there's an aspect of it that that uh, was a little bit of a foreshadowing to the type of writer that you would become. Hmm. Well, that's kind of tough because I, I actually time I'm when I moved to Nashville and really started writing songs. I'm sure I had some horrible ones, and I can't even hardly remember them. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I've been doing this a little bit now, and I've talked to a bunch of singer songwriters. Sometimes um, they'll they'll play me something that they think is terrible, mm-hmm. and it's been a while, you know, like twenty years. And I think um, the thing that that inspired them to write those first words might not have sunk in, but after twenty years, they have. And I almost want to play it back for them. I'm like, um, I don't know, call me crazy, but this sounds fantastic, right? <laughs> you know, back in those days, as a writer. I was I wasn't writing for myself, you know. So I, I was more looking to who, whoever you know. We get a pitch sheet, you know, at the office at a publishing company, and it says, you know, Luke Bryan, blah blah blah. All these people that's they're recording this week of this month, and here's what they're looking for. And so we'd be aiming for something like that. So a lot of that stuff, you know, was just not necessarily stuff that I would really particularly like. But that's what I've done to make a living. Sure. It was a job. Yeah. Well, let's talk about when you first got to Nashville. Um, what brought you there? How old were you? And, you know, here were this this kid from southern Illinois. I mean, what, what made you think that you could go to that big city, that big music town, and, and do something? Well, I was uh, I was a grown man. I was 28 years old when I moved there. Uh, and we had two, two little kids at the time. My daughter was uh, seven, and my boy was two. And... Uh, I, I was working. I'd played local bars up there for years, and I'd come back and forth to Nashville. And it was, it's only about a three-and-a-half-hour drive from where I'm from. And, uh, you know, I, I just expected people just to walk up and offer me a record deal. You know, <laughs> it's not, I was a little lazy, you know, when it comes to, like, no, they'll, they'll come find me. Well, they never did, you know. But I did meet a, a, a lawyer in town, a guy named Scott Simon. Uh, and uh, years later, uh, he, he came on to be a, a manager for Tim McGraw. He manages Tim McGraw to this day. And he, out of the blue, called me. I, I hadn't played music in probably a year and a half, two years. I'd kind of, you know, I still played around the house, but I wasn't, I wasn't out performing. And he called and said, like, hey, you, you still sing? Because he met me when I was a teenager. And I lied and said, sure I do, yeah. And he was like, come down and play me some songs. So that's kind of what I've done. And he was like, hey, man, uh, you got anything you wrote? And I, I played him a couple things that I'd written. And he was like, well... You need to write some songs because <laughs> them aren't very good. <laughs> and he's like, you know, nobody's going to give you uh, songs, you know, because you're nobody. They're going to give them to Tim McGraw and Kenny Chesney and George Strait. And, you know, that kind of struck a nerve with me. I was like, really? And now coming from a songwriter, 
I understand totally what he was talking about. Like, you know, you you kind of want, you know, when you're trying to make a living writing songs, you want them guys to cut your songs. You're not going to give it to me. Right. You know, so that's when I started writing songs and started, you know, really trying to figure it out. Well, you must have been inspired on that first evening in Nashville because I think on the very first evening you wrote yourself a, a hit song that, that Gary Allen yeah. made famous. We we heard him sing a little bit of it. He was actually on the podcast not too long ago. Um, I, I'd sure like to hear about how you wrote that song and how quickly it came together for you. Was it Lightning in a Bottle? Uh, yes, it was Lightning in a Bottle. Uh, I was writing with one of my friends, Casey Bethard, who's a great songwriter. Had, he's had a ton of hits. Uh, at that time, he had not. And that was actually our first hit song. But, yeah, he was my first co-write that, uh, the day that I moved to Nashville. And I knew him. You know, we'd, we was friends, you know, from me coming back and forth. And I just had this guitar lick and was playing it. And he was like, what's that? And I was like, I don't know. I, I kind of like it, though. And he was like, I do, too. And he had the title. And he said, I, I got this title. What about this? And it pretty well fell out. I mean, I, what I maybe two hours. Wow. Know, we might have went to lunch, you know, and come back and carved on a little bit, fix it up a little more. <laughs> Dotted an I and crossed a T or something. Let's hear a little bit of that. Here's the 1999 hit right where I need to be. There's a plane flying out here tonight Destination New Orleans Boston man says my big promotion's on the line And that's right where I need to be Lately I've been on the road more than I've been home All this leaving her alone's killing me And holding her right now's got me thinking more and more this is right where I need to be Where when I hear her, I can see her I can smell her sweet perfume I can feel her skin against me when I sleep And I won't miss her I can kiss her any time that I want to Yeah, that's right where I need to be Oh yeah, that's right where I need to be. Hmm, really nice. Thank you. You know, you, your your songwriting is, you know, you your songs are, are a little sad. And um, you know, I was talking to Gary Allen actually. This is fitting, mm-hmm. obviously, right right where I need to be. Sure. He sang on that for us, and he's gone through it. But he said when he was a kid, the great Harlan Howard. The famous songwriter. Sure. He said to him, said, you can write, son, but you just got nothing to say. <laughs> he said, you need to go out and get yourself divorced a few times. So, so he did. yeah, <laughs> And he did. Um, but what's the secret for you, Kendall? Because, I mean, I got to tell you, you know, you, you have this great beard for people at home who can't see him. Uh-huh. And uh, you're very distinguished looking, but you have this sort of effervescent positive glow about you. You, well, you don't seem that. like the guy that can, can get this deep. You know, it's just, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, because, I mean, I, it ain't like I've, I mean, I'm married to the same woman. We've been married 26 years. Uh, we haven't lived hard. I mean, we, we haven't starved to death. I mean, I, looking back, I mean, yeah, we was poor, but uh, 
I don't know. It's just one of the. It's. I guess it comes natural, you know. And I, of course, I learned from a lot of great songwriters. You know, I wrote. I was lucky enough to get in a room with Harlan Howard, Max D. Barnes, some of them guys from the old school that, you know, were just classic, classic songwriters, and uh, the guys like Casey Bethard and uh, Max T. Barnes, uh, Max D.'s son, and uh, I just learned the craft from them guys, mm-hmm. and kind of you know learned how to tell a story, write a movie or a book in three minutes. You know, right. that's kind of the, that's kind of the way to do it. You know, it, it is very interesting because we haven't talked to a lot of songwriters who did it strictly for a living. Like mm-hmm. you said, you get a call sheet or, or some kind of sheet that says, listen, Coca-Cola's coming in. We want this really good-looking kid to mm-hmm. sing a song that's somehow going to get people to buy Coke. Sure. <laughs> I mean, is that frustrating? Does it make you laugh? Or uh, It's pretty frustrating, yeah. I mean, uh, that's just the typical... I guess it's always been that way. I, it seems now, this these days, it's worse than ever, but I'm sure it, it just goes through cycles like that where it's all, you know, everything is uh, look-oriented. You know, video killed the radio star uh, is the way I look at it. You know, back in the in the 70s and 80s and earlier when you had John Connolly's and, and guys that didn't look like, you know, wasn't up here on Billboard, hanging on the Billboard in Times Square, you know, because they wasn't very good-looking dudes, but they could sing their brains out, you know, and uh, I'd love to go back to those. And I think we are kind of going back to those times a little bit. There's some guys having a lot of success uh, that don't necessarily fit the profile of uh, what's been going on here lately. What do you think about some of these uh, these good-looking kids that do get some hit songs that, that you've written? I mean, uh, you know, Jake Owen is a good-looking kid. Ja- <laughs> <laughs> you know, you wrote uh, Starting With Me uh-huh. for him. Um, I, I mean, you know, was that a good experience? Has it been a good experience? Or is it frustrating to see some of these big, cool hits just, just float away with somebody else? No, it's, that, that wasn't because, I mean, me and Jake had a lot of success together. You know, I had six or seven songs on that first record. And he's actually a good singer. You know what I mean? He is. And live, I mean, he, he can do exactly what he sounds like on the record live. Uh, some people out there aren't necessarily as good live as, as they, you know, as they sound. They can't really do what live what they do in the studio and... That's kind of frustrating sometimes, but uh, but no, Jake's a great singer and he's a great writer. You know, I mean, uh, we we wrote some great songs. But starting with me was the first song we wrote, and I remember the night before we was uh, writing, I, I was writing with his producer Jimmy Ritchie, and he called me. and He was like, "Hey man, I got this new kid I'm working with from Florida," uh, and the first thing he said was, "He's a good looking dude, man. The girls are gonna love him." And I thought, "Oh great, you know, it's gonna be one of those." But uh, he he was a great great singer, and uh, we wrote some good stuff and. Made some money and had a lot of fun, and we're we're still buddies. Yeah, no, I know, I know that he he comes down and participates in the the little honky tonk. He does, yeah. Thing that you do, but we're going to get to that a little later. You want to give me a little taste of uh, starting with me? Sure, and- yeah. I had a one night stand with my best friend's baby sister. To this day, he still won't speak to me. Pawned my grandpa's old guitar in college For a case of beer and a tank of gasoline And I took the swing at my old man one Christmas Never dreamed that it would be his last I wish my mom had wrung my neck she called me with those cigarettes Which reminds me I'm down to my last pack 
But if I had a dime for half the things I did that didn't make no sense at all, I'd be living a little higher on the hog. Only I'd have known that later on down the road I'd look back and not like what I see. I'd have changed a lot of things Starting with me mm. That's so nice Oh, thank you You're listening to Children of Song I'm Brad Newman And today my guest is the singer-songwriter Kendall Marvel You know, let's talk about this collaboration uh, with Chris Stapleton um, I mean, has this guy blown up in the last couple of years or what? <laughs> it's uh, it's crazy. I mean, you know? it's crazy how big he's got. And, uh, you know, I mean, you guys started working together, what, 15 years ago? Yeah, around that area, yeah. How many songs have you written together? I would say we've written a good 60 songs together in that, in that ballpark, you know. Take take me through the the process a little bit. You know how does it how does it work with him? And um, when you when obviously if you've written sixty songs together, you you really know each other well. We do, yeah. Uh, he's uh, you know he's he's a freaking nature. I mean, the first time I met him, uh, it was just like who in the world is this guy? And he sings so good and plays so good, and his songs are so deep for a young dude. And he was you know he was a young man at the time, you know, mid twenties, and. Uh, it was just, I mean, it's effortless to, yeah. write, to write with him. If we don't get a song in, in a couple hours, we're not finished, then uh, we're going to go drink a beer or something, you know, because <laughs> he's not going to work on it that, you know, if it don't come pretty easy, then, you know, with him, which it always does. Uh, Can you give me a sense of maybe one of the first songs you wrote together where you knew, boy, this was something special, this collaboration? Uh, sure, yeah. One of the, uh, we had, uh, actually, Blake Shelton cut this song, uh, it's called uh, Never Loving You. Is, uh, I can't see the day I won't want to stay out with the boys all night Oh, and I can't see the day When I walk off this dead-end job for good I can't see the day I won't be free of getting older But no matter what I do Honey, I can't see me never loving you Some things are bound to change Some things stay the same like they ought to Yeah, some things are meant to be Just like you and me together If I die today Or if I find a way to live forever No matter what I do Honey, I can't see me never loving you Oh, man, it's so great. Um, you know, uh, one of the songs that um, you wrote together was Either Way, um, which is which is just Chris and a guitar. Mm -hmm. And um, it's from the album Songs from a Room, Volume 1, which was, you know, just released last May, obviously. Let's take a listen. Sure. 
all my tears cry Must be in the studio when you hear that, like the first or second time. You've got <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Oh, it's and that's exactly you know back at home we'll demo songs, but we'll go in and hire a band and uh, do the full production. I would say sixty to seventy percent of the songs we wrote was just like that. Yeah, and we got songs cut on them. We got Blake Shelton, uh, Leanne Womack actually recorded that song right there, and it was just him on a cassette player. <laughs> And uh, who else? Josh Turner. Uh, we we had a lot of songs like that, and just you know, just him and the guitar playing, or me and the guitar playing, whichever one. But so, who wrote that 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 high? You know, the melody there at the end where he really is wailing. I mean, there's something. There's a, there's a pain in his voice that is just that. And that sad. That song is so sad. Oh, it is sad as hell. It's just one of them things too that uh, it's just. Like, it, there's something about those songs that jump an octave because it's really just three chords in the whole song, just like right where I need to be. Uh-huh. It just jumps up an octave. And there's something about doing that in a song uh, that just makes it to me. Mm-hmm. And especially when you sing like him. So, you know, I mean, he's, uh, I do that song live as well, but I sure don't do it in that key because <laughs> he is up there on that thing. That, that song obviously was recently, he was nominated for Best Country Solo Performance for a 2018 Grammy. And, um, you know, you also wrote, Two songs on his on his latest album, "Songs from a Room, Volume 2, um, which was just released uh, last week. I suppose he needs to work on naming these albums a little bit. <laughs> but you know, it's funny, no, and I, I say that in jokingly yeah. way because it, to him, it is about the music, right. and it would have to be sure. with an album sure. with that title. And he has never uh, he's always uh, he's always been that way. He's really kind of a shy guy, pretty quiet dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a couple whiskey drinks in him now, he can get loud and fun. Uh, but yeah, he's always been pretty reserved and and uh, not a flash guy. You're not going to see him uh, doing a bunch of uh, media stuff. You know, nothing, nothing crazy. Right. You know, it's not me, 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 me. Look at me. He's not that kind of guy at all. He's got to be a pretty deep guy. I mean, what? I he mean, is. Wh- give, give me something of what it's like without you know telling a secret about your friendship is going to ruin it. But you know, something about him that people might not expect. I mean, he's he's got to be a pretty deep guy. He is a guy, and you know, he's really smart. He was valedictorian in, in his high school class. Uh, he went to Vanderbilt University for a little bit. And, you know, you, you, they don't let dummies in Vanderbilt. <laughs> they would not let me in Vanderbilt, I promise you. Uh, but, yeah, he's really intellectually smart. And you hear some of his songs, uh, uh, they're, they, they're so country, you know, the lyrics, because, you know, he grew up in Kentucky, uh-huh. very rural, just the same way I did. And, uh, but he's really smart lyrically. But he can he can make he can take a song, and it can still be very smart. But the average person who, it's just so relatable. They get it. You know what I right. mean? Right. I heard you uh, took him to your hometown to play a little concert, and your and and your daddy came to see him. Uh-huh. What, what do you think of that? Oh, cool, cool. I mean, every, he blew everybody away. You know, and at the time, Chris uh, had a flat top and wore horn rim glasses and had no hair on his face. You know, and him and Morgan were dating, and and of course she came and sang with him and. Uh, but yeah, and my dad is my biggest fan ever, you know, and uh, 
I, I remember after the show, he kind of pulled me over to the side. He said, son, that was great. You know, you guys were awesome. You, you're sounding awesome. He said, but you might want to be careful with who you bring home and not bring somebody that good. You know, who's, <laughs> in other words, who's better than you next time, you know. And if it had been anybody else, you know, if it had been uh, if it had been, been any other songwriter buddies or singers, it probably would have pissed me off. But, uh, hell, he's better than everybody. So that's, you know, that's just the way it is. Let, let's talk about coming out for your own party here. Um, there's some there's some great tracks on this album. Um, well, how do you do it when, you know, you've been writing for all this time for everybody else, and then now you got to put together 10, 12 tracks for yourself? Uh, you know, it was it's harder than what I thought it would be, you know, uh, Sure, I could have threw ten songs together, and and they all been pretty cool songs. Uh, but making a record, I find out, is a whole different thing than just throwing a couple hit sounding songs on there and then filling it up with a bunch of other songs that sound like hits. It kind of had to have a a vein, and that's what that's what we started with. Low down and lonesome, you know, it was like I want to do a concept record, and in all the songs, I'm either low down or I'm lonesome. <laughs> so you know, we started digging through songs, and we picked out four, four or five old, older songs that we liked. And uh, then me and my producer Keith Gaddis uh, went to work writing and wrote the rest of them. Talk to me about Gypsy Woman a little mm. bit. That, that that's is, one of my favorites. Oh God, it's fun. Thanks. That is a good song. Uh, he actually came. Keith came in with that song, and he'd already started it, and he played me a verse and a chorus of it. And he was like, "Man, I think we need. We're missing something like this." And I was like. Is that done? He was like, no, it's not done. I said, well, what's wrong with that then? Let's finish that. You know, I kind of, he, he opened the door a little bit and I stuck my foot in it. You know? <laughs> one of them kind of things. Uh, but yeah, and it, that's one of my favorite tracks. I, I would think the crowds really like that they, one too. It's, it's the sing-along song. You know, it's it's funny to go somewhere now, you know, coming from a songwriting world. Yeah, I'm used to them singing, singing along with my hits I've written for other people, but not my songs. Mm-hmm. So there's been a couple times, uh, I think we was up in Minneapolis, uh, a couple of weeks ago playing up there and uh, you know people were singing along to it it's like wow that's the power of of digital you know all the the spotify's and and things like that uh like i have, i don't know how these people heard my songs you know that's how they heard it and they know them right so it's pretty amazing yeah can we hear a little bit sure did that california sun not warm your skin way he thought it would Heard you left with no goodbyes again Put a hurt on Hollywood Gypsy woman Don't you think it's time Come around Gypsy woman When you gonna lay your leaving down You do a cool thing in Nashville called the Honky Tonk Experience. Yeah. Um, how'd you come up with this idea? This is where you you basically, uh, you kind of recreate a little bit of the past, right? And you bring some people that are well-known to come in and really create that that live, small venue experience in a, in a club that's called the, the Exit Inn, right? Yeah, the Exit Inn. It's a cool old rock joint, really. And uh, got a big stage and very few seats, mainly, you know, standing in front of the stage, mainly. Uh, we just was wanting to draw some awareness, you know, to me as a recording artist rather than a songwriter. And my, my buddy Gaddis, uh, him and his wife, uh, 
was talking, and she's in the music business as well. And he was like, man, we used to do a thing in L.A., me and Waylon Payne, and uh, it was called Eastbound and Down. He said, and, you know, we start, we just started inviting friends, and we'd all get up and jam. And uh, he said, and then one night Dwight Yoakam showed up, and that's how I got, you know, he was Dwight Yoakam's band leader after that, played guitar with him. And he was like, you need to start something like that. We need to do something here. So we came up with Honky Tonk Experience, and uh, actually Harlan Howard's son, Perry, Oh, really? I uh, was the one who said, hey, man, a buddy of mine books the exit, the exit in. You ought to do it over there. So we went over there, and, uh, you know, we just throwing throwing stuff in the wind, you know, to see what, see what would happen. We didn't know anybody would show up. And, uh, man, the first show, uh, our guest was Allison Krause showed up and Jamie Johnson and Randy Hauser, and we was off to the races after that. And now you got people, uh, you know, that want to come play it. They call and want to play on it now. Oh, you need We've to, had everybody yeah. from the food, some of the Foo Fighters, yeah. and Black Crows to, uh, you know, Brothers Osborne. There's just, uh, they've been to several of them. And matter of fact, John Osborne played guitar one night, all night long with us. He just like, I want to come play. I was like, we'll have your rig set up, man. That sounds like a, an album. You should have an album of that, the Honky Tonk Experience, and Volume that, One, that, Two, that Three. That could happen. That could happen. <laughs> uh, let's let, bring us down for that. We'll do it. We'll, we'll do a fun Absolutely. little podcast. Absolutely, that'd on be that. fun. Yeah. Um, you know, you, a lot of this does pass down to generations. Your kids have now. You know, I, God bless your wife for letting you move to Nashville when you had like a seven and eight year old. Okay, because uh-huh. she's in here laughing at us. But <laughs> you know, I know you guys must be tight because this thing stuck together. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. Through some lean years, and uh, yeah, and it's been relatively easy, pretty well. But your your kids don't perform, but they're in the music business. They are. My daughter works in uh, marketing and PR, and uh, my son works at a company called BMI that uh, collects royalties for songwriters. Nice. Yeah, he works in the licensing department. So what do you think is is next for you? You know, I mean, I think this could be a real moment. You know, we we had Waylon Payne on, too. I love Waylon. We've written some great songs. I love that guy. He's a great singer. He's one of the best. I mean, you know, and you're wondering, like, listening to him, because I've listened to him up close like this, and, and you're like, why are you not famous? Right, right. <laughs> but he's a great guy. Oh, and he's—he's. He's, I bet he's a great interview too. He's, oh, he's fun. He's such a character. He man. is. He is. He no, he's great. But um, I mean, you know, this is a real moment for you, and it seems like things are changing for for real singers. And I, I well, I hope you're right. I mean, it, it seems like uh, seems like it is. We're getting. We've got a good little team assembled. You know, from from our PR team to our management and stuff, and and they're making some. They're shaking some bushes, you know, making some, making some stuff go on, and uh, getting me on cool things like this, you know, and and getting getting my name out there, and uh, yeah, I think 2018 could be interesting. You know, we're working on some tour stuff. Uh, hopefully, you know, first of the year we'll find out if we can get on a couple of these tours. You know, that I got my wish list is of course, you know, wish lists, but uh, nothing written in stone yet. But it, it, it's coming together. Well, I tell you, the the title track for this album, uh, "Lowdown and Lonesome," is is a real powerhouse song oh, as well. Um, it, it's I'm sure it's a crowd pleaser. It's it is, it's definitely yeah. something to start the party with. Yeah. Um, can we hear a little bit of sure. that as we as sure. we go out? Some, but I've damn sure done my time Trying to please a woman Trying to walk the line 
when she washed her hands with our love. I went right straight down the drain, straight down the tubes with the booze and blues where the fools and losers hang. Now I'm low down and lonesome, but I feel right at home. Cause I've done grown accustomed to sinking like a stone. Since I hit rock bottom, I've been high as I can be. Ever since that woman put that look down and lonesome on me. Yes, Kendall Marvel. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me, Brad. Appreciate it. Before we let you go, we want to welcome you to the B-Side, Stories from the Road. Here's a chance for us to have a little fun and tell one last story. As Kendall was packing up, we asked him what was the wildest thing that ever happened to him on the road. Here's a crazy exchange that he witnessed backstage at a Kenny Chesney concert. Apparently roadies have groupies too. Well, this is what happens when these relationships go the wrong way. Tell me a fun story. Well, it's not fun. It was actually crazy. We was backstage at a, at a Kenny Chesney concert in Atlanta, me and my publisher and my buddy Casey. And Casey's written a lot of Chesney stuff. and uh, Casey Beathard. Yeah. And we, uh, we had a thing called the Vibe Room. And we'd, we'd been drinking, you know, pretty heavy. And we was walking out of the Vibe Room. It's kind of like a par- after party that Kenny has, all the opening acts and stuff. And we walk out, and this girl hits this guy with a high heel shoe, and it <laughs> sticks in his head. <laughs> and, uh, it's, you know, just like and it was like a Quentin Tarantino movie. This poor guy was bleeding everywhere, and Casey was down there, you know, trying to help him and Kenny walks out and thought Casey had hit him oh and he was like Casey he works for me what'd you do and he's like no 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 she hit him with a shoe and he was like what she wow. hit him with a shoe you know so that, I gotta that's kind of crazy yeah the life of a rock star right <laughs> yeah <laughs> and one more quick one the songwriter Harlan Howard has been mentioned on this podcast so much, I think we're afraid we're going to get a call from his estate someday. But here's a priceless little gem about Harlan and his son Perry that Kendall told me as he was packing up his guitar on the way out of the studio. I meant to tell you a while ago, and I wish you should have got on this story, but Perry Howard told me, he was talking about Harlan, you know, with yeah. his dad. And uh, Harlan uh, drank a lot. Yeah. And uh, he said they, Perry used to drive him around. He always drank white Russians. That was his drink. Oh, And he had, this, he had this, like, this 60-something, you know, Buick or something, one of the big long cars. Yeah, yeah. And he'd always ride in the back seat, and Perry would drive him around. And Perry pulled out in front of somebody one day, and they about got hit. And said, Harley said, God damn it, son, I can see the headlines tomorrow. Famous songwriter and unknown driver killed in wreck. <laughs> Next week, John Michael Montgomery stops by with his son, Walker. It's a fun look back at what it was like growing up with a country crooner who had a bit of a rock and roll attitude himself. Don't miss Father and Son sing John Michael's big hit, Life's a Dance, next week only on Children of Song, the podcast that combines live music with great storytelling. Till next time, I'm Brad Newman. Thanks for listening. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. 
Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.